Jerusalem is surrounded by the Babylonian army. All hope for deliverance was nearly gone. Property values had plummeted. Everyone was looking to sell, but no one wanted to buy. One of the few persons who had not lost faith was Jeremiah. He was willing to buy a piece of property that any day might become the property of Babylon. Join pastors Kirk Sexton and Bruce Johnson as we discuss the hope that believes regardless of how dark things look for Israel and Judah at the present, God has better days ahead for his people. Welcome to the Full Dig Podcast. I'm Pastor Kirk Sexton, and with me is my good friend and colleague, Pastor Bruce Johnson. Kirk, you're looking bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Well, we had a, I guess that's a good look because uh, we had a busy weekend. We did. A lot of things going on. Trunk Trunk or treat. Yeah. Big celebration on Sunday for Reformation Sunday. It was awesome. It was. And you were uh, wearing your kilt, or one of your kilts, I guess. One of my kilts. Yes. Yeah, that was the Royal Stuart Tartan. I I recognize that. Did you? Yes. It wasn't the clergy tartan. It was the Royal Stuart. I like to mix it up, you know. Well, that's all right. That's right. But you did not give any Gaelic lessons. That's a... False rumor, I think I started. <laughs> yes, you might have. People were asking me, what is Gaelic? <laughs> um, anyway, um, we had a, uh, a terrific text from Jeremiah, and I thought we'd begin with reading that. Yeah, I'm really excited about the text. Why don't you start, Kirk, and I'll jump in. All right, Jeremiah 32, 1 through 15. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. The army of the king of Babylon was then besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was confined in the courtyard of the guard in the royal palace of Judah. Now Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him there, saying, Why do you prophesy as you do? You say, This is what the Lord says, I'm about to give the city into the hands of the king of Babylon, and he will capture it. Zedekiah, king of Judah, will not escape the Babylonians, but will certainly be given into the hands of the king of Babylon, and will speak with him face to face and see him with his own eyes. He will take Zedekiah to Babylon, where he will remain until I deal with him, declares the Lord. If you fight against the Babylonians, you will not succeed. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of Shalom, your uncle, is going to come to you and say, Buy a field in Anathoth, because as nearest relative, it is your right and duty to buy it. And then beginning at verse 8. Then, just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hananel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, Buy my field in Anathoth, in the territory of Benjamin, since it is your right to redeem it and possess it. Buy it for yourself. I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field in Anathoth from my cousin Hananel and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed, had it witnessed, and weighed out the silver on the scales. I took the deed of purchase. The sealed copy contained the terms and conditions, as well as the unsealed copy. And I gave this deed to Baruch, son of Neriah, the son of 
Mashiach, in the presence of my cousin Hannah Mel, and of the witness who had signed the deed, and all the Jews sitting in the courtyard of the guard. In their presence I gave Baruch these instructions. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Take these documents, both the sealed and the unsealed copies of the deed of purchase, and put them in a clay jar so that they will last for a long time. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. Hmm. Now, some of it's kind of obscure. You read the first time, you say, what the heck is going on here? Right. Uh, it's interesting. This chapter is dated precisely. It's in the exact middle of the last siege of Jerusalem before it falls to the Babylonians. Hmm. So a pretty tense time. Right. Uh, if you look at Second Kings chapter 25, this is one of the ways they describe that last siege. Uh, this is beginning at verse 3. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. The city walls were broken through, and the whole army fled at night through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden, and the Babylonians were surrounding the city. They fled towards the Arabah, but the Babylonian army pursued the king, overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his soldiers were separated from him and scattered, and he was captured. Mm. So they're headed towards that. Uh, it was just you know a year or so away from that final conquest of the city, and God gives this remarkable um, insight to Jeremiah that he's going to give be given the opportunity to buy a field in his hometown of Anathoth. And so Jeremiah does it, and he doesn't quite figure out, now, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. So after the part we read, if you continue reading that chapter, Jeremiah begins this prayer to God and says, God, you know, you called people for yourself, you brought them out of slavery in Egypt, and they've been troubled from day one. And so now the Babylonian army is coming to conquer them. And you had me buy a field in Anathoth? <laughs> so it's not quite formulated as a question, but... It's a question like, right. well, okay, I, I did what you said, and what the heck is going on here? And, and so God responds to Jeremiah's prayers and, and uh, tells Jeremiah, yes, the people disobeyed me in a big way, including child sacrifice. Jerusalem will follow the Babylonians, yet I will bring them back one day, and they will be a different. Their relationship with, with me, with God, will be different. Mm. And then he says, just as I brought calamity, I will bring prosperity. People will again inhabit the land, buy fields, and grow crops. In fact, that's such a powerful um, passage. you want to read the end of that? This is from the very end of uh, Jeremiah 32. Starting at 36? Yes. You are saying about this city, by the sword, famine, and the plague, it will be given into hands of the king of Babylon. But this is what the Lord the God of Israel says, I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banish them in my furious anger and great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they always fear me and that all will go well for them and for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them, 
and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. So God is identifying that things will change, that this experience they're about to go through, though it is terrible, it will change them. It will affect the way they look at themselves, their lives, their relationship with God. And then the normal will return. You know, we coming out of COVID, we've all wanted things to be back to normal. And mm. in some ways they, they have, in some ways they haven't, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there's this promise. Mm-hmm. If you continue uh, through the last couple of verses of the same chapter, beginning verse 42, we read, This is what the Lord says. As I have brought all this great calamity on this people, so I will give them all the prosperity I have promised them. Once more, fields will be bought in this land of which you say it is a desolate waste without people or animals, for it has been given into the hands of the Babylonians. Fields will be bought for silver, and deeds will be signed, sealed and witnessed in the territory of Benjamin, in the villages around Jerusalem, in the towns of Judah, and in the towns of the hill country, of the western foothills, and of the Negev, because I will restore their fortunes, declare the Lord. Mm-hmm. And the very last part of that, it, it's expansive. It begins uh, just within the territory of Benjamin. That's where Anathoth is. Mm-hmm. With the villages around Jerusalem, that goes a little further south. In the towns of Judah, so it's you know further south still. Mm-hmm. In the uh, western foothills and in the Negev, Neg- Negev means south. So just in case you haven't figured out where they're going, it says right there. Mm-hmm. So further and further, further. It, it is in some ways parallel to what we have in the New Testament where Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. It's this expansive blessing. God's blessing this ex- is expanding. It's just wonderfully uplifting mm. uh, if you know the background. And this... Uh, signals for us that this whole chapter is about hope. It's not the hope that Jeremiah had initially, but the hope he's supposed to capture. Mm. He's supposed to capture God's hope. In the New Testament, there are three virtues that are called the theological virtues, because these are virtues that we cannot have just on our own goodwill, but things where we need God's help to have them. Mm. Some of the other virtues like uh, courage or wisdom are things that we can kind of accumulate on our own through our trial and effort. But faith, we need God's help for. Hope, we need God's help for. And love, we need God's help for. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 13, we have that great trilogy, faith, hope, and love. These three remain, but the greatest of these is love. Mm-hmm. Right. So there are different verses in the New Testament that talk about the fact that hope comes from God. Uh, I think of Romans uh, 5.13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That really is, it's the Holy Spirit within us that has given us hope. Mm. That's just a wonderful, wonderful thought. And this one from Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Amen. God is faithful. And here's another one. This is from Romans 8, that great chapter. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, 
who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption into sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all, for who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Uh, just this this bounty of hope. It's like a cornucopia of hope, which is a good thing to, for us to think about in November, cornucopias. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yes. Well, I understand that you were um, very excited about the archaeology, and then all of a sudden your excitement turned to deep, dark depression. It, it did. I, I, I've been saving this whole podcast on uh, Jeremiah, this whole series. You know, I've been waiting to talk about the seal impression of Baruch the scribe. And I, I remember this from the 70s. You know, this is the big deal. Um, what happened, uh, there's something called a, a bula. A bula is a piece of clay or a piece of dirt that uh, is put over a document that's been wrapped. Mm. And then you... Um, make a seal impression on that using a signet or a signet ring. Mm -hmm. And that's how a document is sealed. I always thought it was wax, but it's, it's more of a earthy thing. Huh? Yeah. Later on it becomes wax. Oh, In this okay. period of time, it's, it's uh, dirt like terra rosa mm -hmm. uh, soil, which is really rich red soil that's produced by hard limestone mm -hmm. as it deteriorates and becomes soil. Very common in the, or in and around the Mediterranean. So we have two boules that were discovered and, um, well, they were bought on the antique market by a wealthy Israeli businessman. And one of these has the uh, seal impression that reads, this is a seal impression of uh, Baruch Aya, uh, the son of Neriah. And of course, in reading that, people say, gosh, this, this is like... Um, a name we know. This is Brooke the Scribe, who's mm -hmm. mentioned this chapter right. as a friend of Jeremiah. So well, I, I think for our listeners, we ought to spell boule, right? It's B-U-L-L-A-E. Right. That's the plural form of boule and boule. 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 Yeah, boule, B-U-L-L-A. I see. Boule is uh, the, the, the plural of that. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing. Um, a couple years ago, uh, there was a study that was done because now we have a lot of boule that have been discovered in situ in controlled archaeological digs rather mm. than this hoard that was found, a hoard of boule found uh, on the antique market. Mm. So a, a couple of young scholars said, well, let's, let's compare these um, boule that we know about are actually from the period of Jeremiah from archaeological digs. Let's compare them with uh, these two that uh, we have that are um, seal impressions of uh, Baruch the scribe. Mm. So uh, two of them that have been published in archaeological digs and archaeological journals and all the whole thing. Well, they found three problems with them. Uh, first, these uh, that were ascribed to Baruch the scribe were made out of clay instead of that rich red terra rosa soil. Mm. So that was the first uh, uh, thing that... Red kind of flag. Red flag, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like the clay that you'd go to a hobby store and buy clay if you're going to do a pottery. That's the kind of clay it was. It said, oh, Maybe that's not so good. Maybe oh. that's not a good sign. Mm. And the second sign is all of the boule that we have that have been discovered in archaeological digs were dried. Uh, but the ones that had the seal impression of Baruch weren't dried. They were fired in the kiln. Mm. So that's the second red flag. 
Yeah. So the the bula would be put on a scroll and 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 the impression made on it, and it would dry right on the paper or right. the papyri or whatever scroll material. Yeah, in uh, Jeremiah 32, remember, he gives two, he's given two copies of the deed mm-hmm. to the land. One of them is sealed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And the other one is unsealed so that you can look at it, what it says, right, but you have right. an extra copy. It's, it's similar to what we do now. If you get a will drawn up, you'll probably get several copies of that. Yeah. So just to review, first problem, not the right material. Second problem, it was fired and not dried. Yes. And then there is a third problem. And that is when you look at um, these boule under a, a very powerful microscope, they discovered that two different substances were applied over the boule. Oh, like a glaze? Like a glaze or something. So it made it look older than it really was. Oh. So third red flag. And so it's mm. pretty clear that these are uh, fakes that were sold on the antique market. Okay. And uh, I was just crushed. I had not known until I was preparing for this podcast and working on the notes, I had not known that it was faked. I didn't know about that newest archaeological report. Well, you don't have to feel as bad as the, uh, the Jewish businessman that plopped down probably a sizable fund for these things. Yeah, one of these was in a museum in Jerusalem. Another one was in a museum in London for decades. (laughs) (laughs) Or a fake. So, yeah, I was just crushed. Just crushed at that. terrible. So the only way to redeem this is to go to questions from our audience. Oh. A new feature, Kirk. Oh, I didn't know we had questions from the audience. We've had a lot of questions. I've been, the phone has been ringing off the hook because people want to know, going back a couple weeks ago, when we looked at Jeremiah 29, that's Mm. when Jeremiah sends a letter to the exiles. Mm. And uh, there's a part of that where Jeremiah says, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Mm. And so the question I kept on being asked is, well, does that mean that God through Jeremiah was saying you should intermarry with the Babylonians? And the answer is no, that is not what God is saying. He's saying marry within your tribe, marry within your faith, in other words, uh, don't marry uh, Babylonians, but marry within your faith and kind of settle down in that new land. Hmm. And we know that this is true because we can look what happens a couple decades later. It's recorded both in the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. These are near contemporaries. First, Ezra comes back with some of the exiles, and later on, Nehemiah, who's a uh, government official for the new Persian Empire, he's allowed to go back a couple times and help the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. Mm. So listen to Ezra's reaction when he finds that some of the people that had come back, some of the returned exiles, a couple generations later, that they begin to intermarry with the people around them. This is from Ezra chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. After these things had been done, the leaders came to me and said, The people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring peoples, with their detestable practices, like those of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Amorites, Moabites, Egyptians, and uh, Amorites. They have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves, and their sons 
and have mingled the holy race with the peoples around them. And the leaders and the officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. When I heard this, that is when Ezra heard this, I tore my tunic and cloak, pulled hair from my head and beard, and sat down appalled. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel gathered around me because of this unfaithfulness of the exiles. And I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. Mm. So Ezra would not have been shocked if this was something that had been going on when they were exiled in Babylon. Uh, rather, they had not intermarried. They had not married outside the faith, in other words. Uh, and when people began to redo that, uh, fall into the same mistakes that had led the people astray uh, generations earlier, uh, Ezra wasn't having any of it. Mm. He was not uh, happy with that at all. Hmm. And we see that again in Nehemiah. In the, well, that's a good clarification. It is a good clarification. Mm-hmm. And we also see that in Nehemiah. This is in Nehemiah chapter 13. And Nehemiah again gives a list of people, uh, other people groups around them that were involved in this. So in Nehemiah, uh, the beginning of chapter 13, he mentions the Amorites and the Moabites and how the Lord had said they should never be admitted into the assembly of God because of the way that they had acted in uh, earlier generations. And then uh, towards the end of the chapter, it says, this is beginning in Nehemiah 13, beginning at verse 23. Moreover, in those days, I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod. That's where the Philistines were. Ammon and Moab, that's uh, tribes, uh, different people groups that were on the uh, east side of the Jordan River. Mm Mm-hmm. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. And I made an oath to God, uh, made an oath in God's name and said, you are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Was it not because of marriages like this that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into this sin by foreign women. Again, it's not a race thing. It's not a racism thing. It's are you going to marry within the faith? And uh, we'll look uh, this next week at a passage in Jeremiah where another people group who were not Jewish, became Jewish. That is, they, they accepted the faith of the Lord God Almighty mm-hmm. and were later incorporated to the Jewish people. So here the, the concern is for people that do not convert to monotheism, the worship of the one true God, uh, and that's what they're trying to avoid in all this. Hmm. Well, each week we have in our eco-confessional standards, uh, we share something from there. And this week we're going to look at the Heidelberg Catechism. And uh, the question, uh, question one is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is that I belong body and soul in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. At the cost of his own blood, he has fully paid for all my sins and has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil. He protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, everything must fit his purpose for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, 
He also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. I think that's the, one of the greatest parts of the Heidelberg Catechism. It's so uplifting, so hopeful. Um, I belong to Christ, and that's what my life is going to be about. Really great stuff. Right. Now, along with um, a quote from our eco-confessional standards or our essential tenets, we also have a C.S. Lewis quote. And believe it or not, Kirk, I have found a C.S. Lewis quote on hope. Oh, I thought that'd be appropriate. Perfect. perfect. Uh, There's a section in Mere Christianity where Lewis goes into the theological virtues, including the virtue of hope. So this is C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity. Hope is one of the theological virtues. It means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves, who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth, precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. Hmm. Great advice for us to be heavenly-minded and practically good. Or good in practice, I should say. Practically good. Well, uh, my quote today, I don't know if um, this author is a Reformed author or not, but I thought this was a good quote. (laughs) So so you're going on faith. I'm just going on faith. Okay. Yeah, this would be within the Reformed understanding of things. You are a pastor theologian, Kirk, so if you think this is good, then I'll go with it. I thought it was pretty good. Um, he, he has some commentary about this buying of the land that I thought was good. Hmm. He says, what a time and place to be transacting real estate. Other nations had fallen never to rise again. How could Jeremiah or the Jewish witnesses be sure that this nation one day would flourish again on its own soil? It's eminent doom was certain and evident to the natural eye. Its future restoration was evident only to the eye of faith. So that is a hopeful idea, too. So you have to have the eye of faith to to see this and have this hope about investing in the land. Even though you said Jeremiah may not have understood it. Yeah, he Jeremiah is kind of operating. Oh, this is obviously what God wants me to do. But... Um, Our life following Christ is not just about um, what's on the outside, but what's on the inside. Mm -hmm. And uh, God went deeper with Jeremiah. And uh, God wants for us to have a deep, rich, and full life of faith as well. Now, we talked about the idea in, so we meet with the pastors who are preaching. The podcast team meets with them. Right. And... um, we talked about how this idea of 
of buying this land was sacramental. And Pastor Steve mentioned it in his sermon, too, sacramental. I don't know that our listeners know exactly what that means. So I thought we maybe should unpack that idea of when we say it's sacramental, what that means. So sacramental means it's something that's very physical, and yet it's also deeply spiritual at the same time. So the two sacraments that we acknowledge uh, as Presbyterians and, and most Protestants view it the same way are those sacraments that were uh, instituted by Christ himself, um, things that Christ did in his earthly ministry. One of those is baptism, mm -hmm. which a physical act, you have to have water, you have to um, participate in what's going on with the water. And the second one is the Lord's Supper, again, where you have the cup and the bread, and it's a very physical, tangible thing that we do together. Mm. And we do it communally. So it's physical, a lot of logistics involved. You don't want to do a baptism when there's no water around. That's, mm -hmm. You can't do it that way. You don't want to do communion when you don't have either the bread or the cup. Yeah, you can't do it that way. Mm. Um, but they're a sign and seal to us of mm -hmm. God's grace. They're God's grace uh, received in a very particular way. There's God's grace offered in and through the church. Mm -hmm. How's that? Does that work? Well, I, that's excellent. I was thinking about the, the seal of the uh, prom All the promises of God are sealed, but even this promise that this is not the end. I will one day bring my people back, and I will bless them. Um, we looked at some texts that said they're going to be richly blessed. Exactly, yeah. God will fulfill all the blessings as God will uh, fulfill the um, warnings. Now, if you disobey, there'll be consequences. There were consequences, but God continued to work in among his people. Yeah, and it seems like we talked about last week too, the, the people did respond in exile. They, they sort of recommitted to reading the scriptures and knowing the scriptures. and it became a very rich time for the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, later on when they write down all the oral traditions. Uh, that's called the Talmud, and the version they wrote in Babylon is called the Babylonian Talmud. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's pray. Oh, Lord God of all people, we thank you for offering us hope. We thank you for making possible a new opportunity and a new relationship with you. We thank you that you make all things possible, that nothing is too hard for you, including the changing of our hearts to know and love your word. We thank you for being a God who does good to those who love him and honor him. And so we call upon you, knowing that you will hear us, and we ask that you will show us the great and the unsearchable things that you have in store for us. All these things we pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kirk. Thank you, Bruce.